Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. But when I was in that coma, it was like I didn't have that voice. I didn't have that opportunity. It was like it was a faithless realm, like an abyss. I mean, it was horrible. But once I came out of the coma, I got to where I was leaning on my faith. Uh, there was a gentleman that used to come visit with me, Colonel Montavo, and uh, he would just talk about just about anything. But uh, our conversations usually went back to our faith, you know, and, and we'd pray together, we would have fellowship, you know, and, and uh, as my recovery went on, I leaned more and more on my faith because I could see that my faith was inspiring me and it just, it's what kept me grounded. And obviously I feel like I have a calling now to represent the Lord and faith in general, because I know that faith, whatever people's faith are, can help them through their darkest moments. Today's guest says he's been to hell, but it was through that journey that he became the man that he was meant to be. Today we're joined by retired Staff Sergeant Shiloh Harris. He has an unbelievable story that he's going to share with us. He spent 48 days in a medically induced coma with burns over 35% of his body. We're going to find out how all of that happened we're going to hear more about his story and how God reshaped him to be who he is today on Connections. So we're joined today by Shiloh Harris. So Shiloh, uh, your story, a big part of your story, of course, uh, takes place in the military. But uh, tell us maybe what made you decide to join the military? I decided to join the military, you know, I mean, for a couple different reasons. Obviously, the big motivator at that moment was 9-11-2001. You know, when the whole world was shook by a terrorist attack that we lost almost 4,000 innocent lives. And in a way, I was reading an article not long ago that we're still losing lives because of, you know, the towers falling and all the uh, debris and and stuff like that that was in the air. There's people that's coming down with uh, cancer and lung issues and and a lot of health problems because of all that, that toxic stuff that was in the fallout. And so, you know, as near as I can tell, you know, we're, we've lost almost 4,000 lives uh, in the course of time because of 9-11-2001. And that was my motivator for joining the military because, and this was the other motivator, is that I came from a family of veterans. You know, they, each and every uh, one of my, I guess you could say, father figures, my father and my grandfather, and even... Uh, my great-grandfather, you know, they all served in the military. And it was, uh, I guess you could say, it was kind of a family motivator as well. Uh, and I, I love being in the military. And, and I've actually got to work with quite a few uh, Canadian soldiers that uh, were absolutely amazing. and love their professionalism and, and their attitudes and uh, have some great relationships with Canada. So I'm really happy to be a part of your show today. Yeah, it's a real privilege uh, for us to have you on with us too, sharing about your story. When you join the military, you know, so there's this sense of patriotic duty, I guess, uh, following the events of 9-11. What were your thoughts as you were getting ready to uh, deploy? When did you first deploy? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. I mean, we talk about the deployments, but they don't really talk about that feeling that you have right before you deploy. And, you know, I... It's um, I guess you could say it's a good story as well. Uh, you know, that preparing to leave your family for, you know, really an undisclosed amount of time. I mean, deployments are estimated times, 
but things could happen. You know, they could either shorten it or, or make it longer. And, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of factors to consider. So, you know, there was some uneasy ground, yet at the same time, you know, hanging out with, you know, your your military buddies, the guys that are, you're getting prepared to go to combat with, there's this macho, you know, camaraderie and, and you know, preparation and kind of socking yourself up to uh, be prepared for the battlefield. And yet, you know, there's this also year of what if that lies in your gut and in your heart. And, you know, and it's like I could see the pain, you know, with my wife at the time and how she was, uh, you know, not real comfortable with me leaving yet she supported me a hundred percent. And I know that happens a lot with the military, you know, the, the um, men and women that, you know, prepare their soldiers or their airmen or Marines uh, to get ready to go off to combat. It's like, they want to be supportive, but on the inside, they're really hurt too. So, you know, it's a, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot to take in getting ready to go on that deployment. It was a lot of preparation. Uh, once you first arrived in Iraq, what was life like on your first tour, first deployment, and and your experiences there? Hey, another great question, man. Uh, you, you're doing. I'm telling you, man. This is really a great interview. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, I, don't, I don't know why, but it's like you know, it, it seems like a lot of the interviews I, I do, I, I feel like I almost got a script. You know, because it seems like almost everybody sticks with the same questions. You know, and, and yeah, these are you're actually asking really good questions that not a lot of people <laughs> good. <laughs> seriously you know and uh so like the the pre-deployment you know not a lot of people ask about that a lot of people want to know how did you get the scars and what right. did you do to, to overcome it you know there's a lot that went into this this cake you know there's a lot that went into where i am today and the pre-deployment you know that first feeling of when we landed and you know and uh just so you know we staged in kuwait so when we flew in on that first deployment, we went to Kuwait first, and I guess you could say do a bit of conditioning. Uh, and at that time, obviously, you know, uh, Kuwait is a, a friendly country. And so it's a, it's accommodating to uh, get us acclimated to that area and get prepared, you know, our equipment and that sort of thing, getting ready to leave. So it's like when you land there in Kuwait, I guess you started having this reality of, yeah, this, this is going to happen. And, you know, you're starting to realize just how hot it is or, you know, you're getting your gear ready. And, you know, and I guess you could say in a way uh, it, it's like a hunting trip or a fishing trip. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, wow, you know, everybody's all psyched up about going on this hunting trip and fishing trip. And I know this may not be a great scenario to use, but, uh, you know, so you, you're getting your gear ready. You know, you got your fishing poles, you got your bait, you got your lures, you know, all these different things and you're getting ready all for that moment that you don't even know if you're going to catch a fish. And, you know, and for us, you know, we were there in Iraq to help stabilize and catch bad guys and, and try to make it better, not just for the United States, but, you know, for the Iraqis as well. And even when we were in Afghanistan, the whole point was to arrest bad guys. So you start getting a sense of we're going to do this, you know, it's like kind of socking yourself out. It's real now getting your gear ready. And I don't know, it was really powerful. So you mentioned uh, there 
is a uh, larger aspect to your story that you talk to most people about. And on your second appointment, you did experience a life-altering event. Can you explain to us what happened, maybe what the day was like leading up to the moment, and then what happened? That's another great question. The uh, preparation, I guess you use, or the day leading up to my injury, it was... It was a, I don't know, it was really, it almost felt like fate. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, I know that it's maybe hard to understand, but, uh, you know, that second appointment, it just felt different than the first appointment. And I guess, you know, I want to take it back, you know, more than a day or that day. Uh, but, you know, that appointment was just different. You know, we were there and there was a lot of political stuff going on. You know, there was a, the uh, Iraqi government trying to take more control of their country, which was great. You know, we wanted that. We wanted them to start taking uh, control of more military operations, uh, you know, so that way they could start being more independent. And, you know, but there were times that in the middle of this transition, uh, we felt like our hands were tied. And, you know, it was like if bad guys did bad things, uh, you know, our engagements were different. And sometimes it kind of let the bad guys get away in a way, you know, uh, but at least that's the way we felt because we'd have to turn over some of these bad guys and, or, you know, we wouldn't be able to do some of the things that we had done prior to protect ourselves, you know, because it would seem aggressive. And that was the posture that we were trying to step away from was being aggressive. And so it was, it was a, this fine line of protect yourself yet, you know, you're trying to build hearts and minds that day. Well, that week, it, it was really weird because we had some huge successes that we felt like, you know, we were accomplishing goals. Yet there was almost like this uh, setbacks as well. And so it was just like this kind of dark cloud over the operations at the time. And then all of a sudden I remember being home or not home, but being at my room with my roommate and we were taking turns visiting with our families on the computer and uh, I remember chatting with everybody and we were making family plans. And then uh, I made the joke that, uh, you know, so in, unless something happens to me. And that was literally the night before I got blown up. And it was just, I don't know why, but when I said it, I was like, wow, I shouldn't have said that. You know, and I was just like, it's just like this like gut feeling. And I was like, wow, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> and then the next day they were like, hey, by the way, you're going to go into this really horrible area and do some uh, reconnaissance and, you know, visit with the people. And, and we were all like, oh, okay. You know, they, we knew how high risk it was. You know, we, we did our necessary stuff. Uh, but there was just a lot of things that happened. One of the radios wasn't working. You know, uh, my truck didn't have fuel in it because the guys forgot to do it the night before. You know, I mean, there was all these things that just don't normally happen, happened that day. And it starts causing even more of a dark cloud feeling. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't like this. So, you know, we were extra vigilant. Everybody was on their on their best game. But unfortunately, I was injured by a bomb that they said there was about. 700 pounds of explosives in the road. That injury led to uh, you being in a medically induced coma for 48 days. What was that like? Uh, uh, The 48 days in that coma, those days were very dark. And I want to say as close to hell as I ever want to become or ever get, 
because, I mean, it was, everything was painful, scary and dark. I felt helpless, hopeless. You know, was like, I could hear the voices of my, my family members, my loved ones, but I just couldn't communicate with them. I couldn't express how I felt. I couldn't express what I needed or what I felt like I needed. And it was one of the most horrible feelings that I can say that I, I never want to experience again. It's actually caused some issues when I go back for surgeries and they're getting ready to put me to sleep. You know, I, I remember there was a moment back in, uh, let's see, I want to say it was like 2010, and I went in for probably, you know, like surgery 55 or 56. And I remember right before I was going to sleep, I started having this panic attack, like, what if I don't wake up? And I just, I, I didn't want to feel like that way anyway, anymore. And so once I got done with that surgery, I told him, I was like, I got to take a break. I'm done. Uh, because I, I just had like this huge panic attack. And uh, I knew that I needed to make a change. And, you know, and even though I had my faith to guide me a lot of times, you know, when you're in a dark, scary place like that, uh, much like depression, I guess you could say, you know, as far as people's mentality, uh, you know, when you start looking at depression or these dark moments, you feel like there's not a lot of, of hope and faith. Uh, but I've always been able to stick close to my, my roots with faith. And I think that that helped me survive a lot of horrible moments. Yeah, you mentioned faith. Did you have faith before uh, the explosion happened or is faith something that came afterwards in your recovery? Uh, great question. I uh, grew up in West Texas. And again, I mentioned, you know, my grandfather was a World War II or a, he was a veteran. He served in World War II, the Korean War, and actually ended up retiring from the military. And he was a I guess you could say he kind of went to church to check the box. I know he believed in God, but uh, he would take me to church with him and then he would fall asleep sometimes while we were sitting in the pew. But I listened, you know, and I'd go to the Sunday schools and, and that sort of thing. And I've always felt like I've known Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. You know, it was like, it was not really practiced in my house, even though we believed in God and believed in Jesus, it was like there wasn't this in-depth conversation about it. But as a, as time went on, my faith grew, and I did become to know the Lord. Yeah, so even on deployments, you know, we would have prayer groups. And that day, I did have a prayer group, and it was just, you know, I, I tried to imagine God's arms protecting us and shielding us as we were driving down those roads from all the bad things. But when I was in that coma... It's like I didn't have that voice. I didn't have that opportunity. It was like it was a faithless realm, like an abyss. I mean, it was horrible. But once I came out of the coma, I got to where I was leaning on my faith. Uh, there was a gentleman that used to come visit with me, Colonel Montavo, and uh, he would just talk about just about anything. But uh, our conversations usually went back to our faith, you know, and, and we'd pray together. We would fellowship you know and, and if I had questions he would try to answer them and if he didn't know he'd go look them up and it was just a, a great conversation and uh, as my recovery went on I leaned more and more on my faith because I could see that my faith was inspiring me and it's just it's what kept me grounded and obviously I feel like I have a calling now to represent the Lord 
and faith in general, because I know that faith, whatever people's faith are, can help them through their darkest moments. One of the things you say often in, in a lot of your speeches and your speaking is that you're here because of God and that this journey has helped you to become the man that you were meant to be. Who is that man that you were meant to be? Uh, great question. I, st- I still feel like I'm uh, learning to be that person. Uh, each day I try to be a better version of myself. And, and I think that's all any of us can do. Uh, you know, is to try to be a better version of yourself today, better than you were yesterday. Now, that person that I think I'm on my way to become is hopefully a man that has a ministry, uh, you know, or at least works with ministry as as much as possible to try to encourage faith. But I think the biggest thing is, is at this particular point in my life, God needs me to understand him. And so recently I decided to go back to school uh, to the uh, University of Incarnate Word here in San Antonio and seek a religious uh, religious studies degree. So I'm really excited about that. And, uh, you know, first semester down, uh, I was already like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, that's what I thought. You know, and it's like I've been doing all this uh, research on, on uh, I guess you could say, the history of Christianity. And, I mean, it's just been a huge eye-opener for me. Uh, you know, some of those gut feelings being confirmed, and finding new insights into faith. You've uh, now written about your experience as well. Tell us what that was like to go through everything and get it out uh, in in uh, book form. Yeah, I guess it's been a, a few years now, but what was it like? <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was a hard process, to be honest. Uh, you know, I didn't know if I really wanted to put a lot of that out there because, you know, when you know, when it's one thing to tell your story on stage. That seems like uh, a more intimate group, even if it's a, let's say, 5,000 people. You know, this is only 5,000 people. You write a book, you don't know who's going to pick the book up, I guess. You know, there was a, uh, that mystery to it, and I didn't know if I wanted to do it. Uh, Robin, the writer on the book, she was very supportive and very understanding, and uh, she wrote a couple of chapters, you know, just uh, based on what me and her had discussed. And she said, I just want to see what you think about this. And anyway, as I was reading it, I was just like, wow. I was like, you make me sound like I'm, I'm pretty good. And she goes, hey, these are your words. She's like, this is what you say. And these are the things that you've shared with me. Shala, what kinds of feelings and emotions did you experience while putting this book together? I found myself on a bit of a roller coaster as well, having to relive. Uh, a lot of those moments in combat that, you know, I wasn't always on the forefront of my mind. And now I've got to go in depth into this and try to remember how I felt, try to remember how it smelled, try to remember the things that I've seen and, and the people that I worked with. And it was really powerful. It was really emotional. Uh, it was, it was a roller coaster of emotions, but I'm glad that we did it. And right there on the edge of, me deciding if I was going to write Steel Will or not. I remember uh, there was a a young soldier that I worked with. Uh, He ended up killing himself, or at least that's what uh, they believe. And, you know, many of us that served with him have a hard time believing that because he was always that upbeat person that, that, that it wasn't in his character to go down this road of suicide. I mean, you, you wouldn't have hardly imagined that the guy ever had a bad day in his life. I mean, he was just always happy. And when that happened, I realized I do need to share my successes. 
I need to share my my faith. I, ha- I need to share these tools so other people can use them and apply them. And hopefully we can save a lot. And that was exactly what I told Robin. I said, if we can save one life with this book, then it's mission accomplished for me. And I know it's such an important point for so many people that have gone through difficult things, right? If we share our stories and our experiences, though, it might help at least just one person and you save a life with that story, then it's worth it, right? Absolutely. That's absolutely right. Uh, Shiloh, we're almost out of time already. I think we need to bring you on another time to talk to you more. But for for people that have, they're suffering with a variety of things, people, different experiences, and maybe they're struggling with their faith, questioning where is God in the midst of this horrible suffering. Uh, What do you say to people? God is right there beside you. He's never left you. And all you have to do is say his name. And he's there for you. Uh, you know, for those people that are out there that are, are suffering and, and worried, you know, I get it. There's days that we are too. It, you know, what is it they say? is The only thing that you have to fear is fear itself. Fear is in your head. You know, I mean, it, it may be uneasy and you may be seeing other people suffer, you know, but lean on your faith. Be that rock that other people need. Ask the question. And if you do feel like you need to pick me up, you know, reach out to those people that are close to you that uh, are like-minded that, you know, could potentially lift you up. But God is there. God is always with you. And I can say that for a fact. I've seen it. For people who want to learn more about you, about your book, um, about your story, how do they go about doing that? So, yeah, if uh, anybody would like to uh, look up the book, you know, uh, Jamie and I have it on uh, BoundlessSpirit.com. Um, yeah, BoundlessSpirit. Boundlessspiritinternational.com. It's really long. Go to Shiloh Harris page and it'll take. Oh yeah, yeah. There's shilohharris.com. But yeah, Balance Spirit International, and uh, you know that's one way to find Steel Will. Uh, Hopefully, Jamie and I will get our other book done. We've just had a couple setbacks. We were supposed to have it out this year, and then uh, we had some other things come up. But uh, yeah, we're working steadily on getting our other book out. Uh, We don't know the name just yet, but uh, anyway, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited that you guys had me on the show. Thanks, Shiloh, for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can do that by visiting podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcasts from. We'll talk to you again on Connections.